Get ready to step into scripture with Tina. Hey everyone, welcome to Step Into Scripture. My name is Tina Wilson. I'm a pastor's wife and a mom of seven. Alongside my husband, Matt, I've committed my life to serving King Jesus as a church planter, a Bible teacher, an author, and an advocate for all-in family ministry. Every week on this podcast, I introduce myself in that same way, but I don't think I've ever taken the time to explain what exactly that means. When I say all-in family ministry, that is a flow in our family. My husband and I have been married for 21 years for the entire time we've been in full-time ministry, and we have seven children, and it's important to us that they are not sidelined as we are doing ministry, walking out the calling God has on our lives. We want them to be involved in it. We want them to be empowered for it and equipped for it. So something we've tried to do is give our kids a space to serve God in the unique ways that they can based on the gifts that they have so that they can bring people to Him also. We want them to have a heart for ministry like we do. And so right now, my friend Stacy, who is normally on this podcast with me, is doing some things with her work and her family. And so I thought it would be a great opportunity for me to bring my daughter, Reagan, alongside me, and let's actually walk out this all-in family ministry so you and I can minister together. I have six daughters. Reagan is number two in that lineup. And Reagan, if you don't mind, go ahead and take a minute to introduce yourself. My name is Reagan. I'm 18, and I work on staff at our home church, Ecclesia Christian Church, as our social media director. Uh, I also help lead worship here and do several other things, but that is my official title. Um, outside of Ecclesia, what I do is I do my ministry throughout different social media platforms, and what I do most of the time is I take uh, countercultural topics and different prevalent topics and talk about them from society's point of view and what the world has to say about those topics and then compare it to a biblical uh, standpoint and what the Bible has to say about those things. And my goal is to educate and teach more people my age and younger and older, but specifically targeting the Gen Z generation and talking to them about what the Bible has to say about things that have become normalized to us or romanticized to us, or we've just taken as everyday life and talk about what the Bible has to say about those things. Uh, when my when I have rare free time outside of that, I run a business. I'm a photographer and love to eat Mexican food. So other than that, that's about it. So Reagan, this is obviously a great setting for you because already you are doing the work of sharing what the Bible says with people. And so I'm glad that we can sit here together and answer questions about the Bible. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a great space for you. So we are committing this whole season, season two and Step Into Scripture, to answering whatever Bible questions are submitted by listeners and viewers. And we really answered a lot of weighty questions about the character of God. Why does God act in the way that He does in certain scenarios? And then why doesn't God correct some of the behaviors that we see in Scripture that we know are contrary to what He wants people to do. So these kind of questions especially come up from the book of Genesis, something that I noted here on episode 10 in this same season that was titled Deception and Polygamy, is that the book of Genesis contains a lot of narrative about people's bad behavior, but doesn't have a lot of Scripture condemning or affirming it. There's just a narrative about it. 
And so that can leave us wondering what's going on here. In our home church, Ecclesia, we're doing a Step Into Scripture group that just finished the book of Genesis. So there have been lots of questions about these kind of things, about how God deals with or maybe even doesn't seem to deal with man's choices. And and those choices affect other people. So we find a wide range of reactions from humanity in the book of Genesis when people are wronged. We find people completely forgiving and walking away, and we find people carrying out extreme revenge. And so this leaves some question about, because we see the narrative and we don't see the affirmation or condemnation of it clearly written on the page, what do we do with that? And so we want to explore this topic today, and we're going to just call this episode Man's Revenge Versus God's Justice. What exactly does that look like? What are we supposed to do? What scripture do we use to guide our reactions when we are wronged, and how do we seek God's justice? So to do this, We're going to start by considering man's vengeance to help us understand why God actually tells us vengeance belongs to him. Mm -hmm. That's not ours. It's not ours to repay. Then we're going to look at another reaction we find in the book of Genesis, which is reconciliation Mm -hmm. when someone is wrong. But we want to look at that because we want to understand what predicates that path. There's an important element that gets us away from vengeance and to reconciliation. And finally, we're just going to consider God's justice and how it's at work. And maybe the Bible doesn't spell it out as clearly as we want it to, but if we pay very careful attention to the Mm -hmm. narrative, we do see God's justice absolutely revealed on display for us. So Reagan, if you don't mind, why don't you go ahead and kick off this conversation and let's talk about revenge. All right. So something common to humans as a whole is that obviously when when we're wronged or um, we see someone else be wronged, it's natural for us to want justice, for, yeah. some, for us to want what has been done wrong to be made right, obviously. And uh, we want the perpetrator to get what they deserve. Yeah. So the more devious the wrong, the more emotionally invested we become in trying to find justice. And an account in Genesis that you guys have actually looked at briefly on this podcast was the one with the rape of Dinah, who was one of the daughters of Jacob. Yeah. And um, I'll start by reading that account of the crime from Scripture. So it's in Genesis 34, 1 through 4, and we read, Now Dinah, the daughter Leah had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. When Shechem, son of Hamor the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her, he took her and raped her. His heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father Hamor, Get me this girl as my wife. So obviously, this is a crime that demands justice. And justice is certainly not sweeping it under the rug and not telling anyone. And it's definitely not just giving the girl over to her abuser. Right. So verse 5 says, when Jacob heard about, or when Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with his livestock, so he did nothing about it until they came home. So we shouldn't read this as Jacob was going to ignore this injustice or act as if it didn't happen. But because this is a family matter, he's going to give the whole family the opportunity to speak into his response about what has just happened. Kind of like all in family ministry. Kind of like that. So verse six, then Shechem's father Hamor went out to talk with Jacob. 
Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what had happened. They were shocked and furious because Shechem had done an outrageous thing in Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. So Dinah's brothers find out what happened and they are rightly shocked and furious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the appropriate response for a situation right. like that. So here's where we want to sit and identify with the brothers for a minute. When a sin or a crime is committed against you yeah. or someone that you love, you have a justified emotional response to that. Yeah. But we have to not let our emotional response dictate our actions. Right. And ensure that those actions don't lead to sin. Right. So there's a path to justice, both in God's law and usually within the laws of the land that govern us. So let's dig into this for a minute. This section of scripture that we're reading predates the law that God gave to Moses. Right. But as we see in so many different accounts in Genesis, God still spoke to his people at this time. So we can assume here that God has a heart for justice that was not unknown to them. Right. And here's what we have or here's where we have a written account of this. In Exodus 21, 23 through 25, it says, But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. So similarly, God said this to Noah after him and his family came off the ark in Genesis 9, 5 through 6. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being, too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. So the point here is that God's heart for justice demands that the punishment fit the crime. Right. And it should be sufficient, but not excessive. Yeah. So like if you take $5 from my wallet, and then when you're not looking, I go and take $100 from your wallet as my justice, right. right? That's not a sufficient, you know, revenge plan or justice plan. It's excessive. Yeah. What would be the correct thing would be if you stole $5 from me and I came and I said, hey, I know you took $5 from my wallet, so I'm going to need you to give me $5 back. Yeah. But if you took five and I took 100 from you, that wouldn't be uh, sufficient. It would be excessive. Right. Which That's is where why, our emotions gets in the way, right? Right. Which like, is why we don't always have the right judgment to make a perfect plan for justice or like yeah. we do revenge because God isn't partial. God does not let his feelings get in the way, right. but we do. So that's why it's important to leave justice in God's hands. But let's look at what Dinah's brothers do here in Genesis 34, eight through 29. But Hamor said to them, my son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife, which is a crazy, crazy claim. Like, oh, well he wants her. So Right. Very crazy. Um, intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it, trade in it, and acquire property in it. Then Shechem said to Dinah's fathers and brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like, and I'll pay whatever you ask me. Only give me the young woman as my wife. Only. Because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father Hamor. They said to them, We can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We will enter into an agreement with you on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. 
We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. Their proposal seemed good to Hamor and his son Shechem. The young man, who was the most honored of all his father's family, lost no time in doing what they said because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to the gate of their city to speak to the men of their city. These men are friendly toward us, they said. Let them live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters and they can marry ours. But the men will agree to live with us as one people, only on the condition that our males be circumcised as they themselves are. Won't their livestock, their property, and all their other animals become ours? So let us agree to their terms and they will settle among us. All the men who went out of the city gate agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male in the city was circumcised. Three days later, while all of them were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks and herds and donkeys and everything else of theirs in the city and out in the fields. They carried off all their wealth and all their women and children, taking as plunder everything in the houses. So this is a crazy, yeah. a crazy act of revenge. I mean, obviously what he did was horrible, right? right. But their, their revenge was to not just have these men, grown men, be circumcised, right? But while they are still in pain, while they're still recovering three days later, to kill them, and while they die, make them watch them take everything that they own. And the whole city. Oh, right. Not just the guy who did it. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so all these other guys they recruited, they were like, hey, this is a good plan. This is a good plan. Then they're all getting punished too. They're right. like, what's that got to do with me? Right. But so this is very much like an account that you guys looked at in this podcast, back in season yeah. two, episode yeah. one, the account of the near genocide of the tribe of Benjamin because of the abuse and rape of a woman. So I would encourage you guys to go back and listen to that one. But the point is basically the same. Man's revenge does not produce justice because it's driven by emotion and goes beyond a punishment that fits the crime. Yeah. So it's with good reason that Paul tells us this in Romans twelve nineteen. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So that's the biblical call. Right. That's what we're supposed to do, mm -hmm. is leave justice in God's hands, not seek revenge, not do what we see Dinah's brothers doing here. Mm -hmm. But that's hard, right? Right. Especially when we see someone who we love mm -hmm personally experience injustice. Right. It's hard when we experience injustice, but I think it may even be harder right. when one of our loved ones do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would rather have someone hurt me mm -hmm. than hurt you as right. my daughter. Mm -hmm. That's a hard thing to swallow, and it's a hard thing to not want to retaliate mm -hmm. when you see that happen. We want to punish it. But to create a bridge here biblically from man's revenge to God's justice, mm -hmm. I want us to first look at a key element in diffusing the need mm -hmm. for revenge, because we actually find that in the life of Jacob, who we're talking about here, mm -hmm. that was his daughter that right. this thing happened to. So 
A key event that we explored on this podcast already in the life of Jacob was in a recent episode, just two episodes ago, episode 18. It was called, Why Couldn't Isaac Reverse the Blessing? So for a thorough unpacking of that biblical account, you can go back and just watch that whole episode. But for the sake of this episode, we want to just note Esau's responses to what Jacob did to him. So the backstory here is that Jacob deceived his father Isaac into thinking he was his brother Esau as Isaac was nearing death. And so Isaac unwittingly gave his blessing that should have been reserved for his firstborn son Esau to his secondborn son Jacob. Now he thinks he's giving this blessing to Esau, but he's actually giving it to Jacob. Jacob takes it all. And then this is what Esau did after he discovered what had happened there. Genesis 27, 41, and 42, it says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah, that's their mother, was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. So here again, is an example of man's vengeance. Here again is an example of the punishment not fitting the crime, which is what God had demanded from them. That's what the law dictated in Exodus. That's what you read for us that God said Mm -hmm. when Noah and his family came off the ark, the punishment needs to fit the crime. Jacob had taken Esau's blessing, but Esau wanted to take Jacob's life. Again, driven by emotion, Mm -hmm. we tend to react in ways that are excessive. Mm -hmm. So that punishment didn't fit the crime. So Jacob, because of this, flees. He goes to a place called Paddan Aram, where he meets his mother's relative, whose name is Laban. Laban had two daughters, Leah, who was the older, and Rachel, who was the younger. And we're just going to read an account of what happens here after Jacob has fled from Esau's vengeance, and he is now living uh, in this new land with Laban. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said to Laban, I'll work for you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they only seemed like a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, and then we will give you the younger also in return for another seven years' work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. So I want you to take note of what has happened here because, again, God's justice may not be clearly spelled out on the page Mm -hmm. like we want to see it, Mm -hmm. but it is happening. It is at work because here there has been a punishment Mm -hmm. that fit the crime. See, Laban deceived Jacob here by putting his firstborn daughter in front of his second, just like Jacob had deceived his father Isaac by putting himself the second born in front of Esau the first. Mm-hmm. The turnaround is exactly what Jacob had done. Mm-hmm. He had sown that, and this is what he reaped, mm-hmm. was deception that reversed the birth order. Mm-hmm. So Jacob 
really paid the penalty for his wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't dealt to him by Esau. It wasn't that his life was taken by his brother, but it was God's justice, Mm -hmm. not Esau's vengeance that dealt the consequence. But where does that leave Esau, Mm -hmm. right? Because he knows that an injustice was committed against him. Mm -hmm. Jacob runs away from that injustice Mm -hmm. rather than facing what he's done. Mm -hmm. And so Esau doesn't know. Mm -hmm. He's not getting the gratification of seeing that, okay, Jacob Jacob got what he had coming, right? right? Right. Well, let's look at the account now of what happened to Jacob after he left his father-in-law Laban and he goes back to his homeland where he had initially fled from to get away from Esau's wrath. So Genesis 32, 1 and 2. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Mm -hmm. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. So Jacob, now having lived with his father-in-law for 20 years, is going back to his homeland where he had fled from Esau many years before. And we have this strange account of he encounters the angels of God as he's returning home. This isn't the first time for Jacob, though, because he had also encountered angels of God when he was initially fleeing from Esau. That's the account that you may have heard of in Scripture called Jacob's Ladder, and he named that place Bethel. Mm -hmm. Now he's going back home 20 years later, and he sees angels of God again. He calls the place Mahanaim, recognizing that there is another camp now present with him. Mm -hmm. That's what the word means, two camps. So He's not alone with his camp. God is also there. The camp of God is there. And we don't have a record in this chapter of Genesis, chapter 32, of what these angels say to Jacob Mm -hmm. during their talk with him. But I think we can make some inferences from the very next verse, because here's what Genesis 32, 3 says. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir in the country of Edom. All right. So just to make sure we're tracking, Jacob has left Laban in Paddan Aram. Mm -hmm. He's returning home. He meets angels. And now all of a sudden, we're going to talk about Esau, Mm -hmm. who he has not seen or heard from that we know of that's recorded in Scripture in the last 20 years. And he's sending messengers ahead to alert Esau to his whereabouts. Mm -hmm. And the important thing that we need to know here is if we were looking at a Bible map Mm -hmm. of this Middle Eastern area back in the days of the patriarchs, what we would find is that Seir, where Esau is, is not on the way to Canaan, where Jacob's going. In other words, Jacob doesn't have to pass by Esau right. to get there. Right. There was no reason that he would need to alert Esau of his coming unless he was told to mm-hmm. by these angels who he's just had a conversation with. Mm-hmm. Why would he do that? Well, let's read the very next two verses, Genesis 32, 4 and 5. He instructed them these messengers who he's sending ahead, this is what you are to say to my Lord Esau, your servant, Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there until now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. All right. So Jacob headed back to the promised land with all this wealth, but what he's going to do here is right some wrongs. Mm -hmm. Because if you notice the language that he used in sending this message to Esau, go to my Lord Esau and tell him your servant Jacob is here. Mm -hmm. Now the blessing 
that Jacob had deceitfully received from his father Isaac before Isaac's death was that he would be Lord over his brothers, that Mm -hmm. his brothers would serve him. Mm -hmm. But now he's intentionally positioning himself lower than Esau, calling himself Esau's servant. Even though he got away with that crime, it Mm -hmm. seems, or with that sin, when he fled from Esau, as far as Esau knows, he Mm -hmm. got away with it. Esau doesn't know that he was deceived and had a whole birth order switch pulled over on him the same way he pulled that over on his father. That didn't negate his need to repent. Even though he ran from the sin even though it seems like he got away with it, Mm -hmm. and even though God's justice has been dealt in the meantime, he still has to go to his brother Mm -hmm. and make this thing right. And we see that in the language that he uses as he sends this message to him. He needs to make amends. Mm -hmm. So let's keep going. Next verse, Genesis 32, 6. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. Right. So that doesn't sound like a favorable response, right? It sounds like Esau is coming on the war path, and mm-hmm. he's bringing an army with him. Yeah. Let's keep going. Verses 7 through 12. In great distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Now, I want to take a minute here and look at some important things we learn from this prayer that Jacob prayed. Mm -hmm. He uses a particular trait and a particular tactic in this prayer. Mm -hmm. Number one is the trait of humility. He says, God, you have blessed me and I don't deserve it. Right. And then the tactic he uses is that he prays the promises of God. And I've mentioned this on this podcast before, but that's something that we need to learn to do. And it's something we see modeled for us in scripture. When God makes a promise and a covenant, he keeps it. And we Mm -hmm. often find his people crying out to him saying, God, please remember what you promised me and make it so. Mm -hmm. So that's what Jacob does here. And so he sends servants now ahead to meet Esau again after these messengers have brought back the word that Esau's coming. He's got 400 guys. Now Jacob is going to send messengers to meet them again. And each one of them has a large herd of animals with Mm -hmm. him as a peace offering. So Genesis 32, 17 and 18, he instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say... They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. So here is where we really start to see justice because there is a total reversal taking place now, and not just one that's happening outside of Esau's awareness, but one that is directly pointed toward Esau. When Isaac blessed Jacob thinking he was blessing Esau. These are the words that he used. Genesis 27, 29. 
May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and may those who bless you be blessed. So Jacob, again, is willfully, purposefully positioning himself lower than Esau, calling Esau Lord. He is reversing the blessing. He's actually returning that to uh, Esau. And so Jacob, having sent these messengers ahead with these peace offerings, he is now alone and he's waiting. And this is when the famous account of his wrestling with God takes place. And that's pertinent to this conversation. So we'll just read that. Genesis 32, 24 to 28. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Mm -hmm. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked his name. What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. So this is a really strange passage that we find in scripture. But it gives us a picture of God's justice. So Jacob, we've talked about him before, again, on episode 10 in this season called Deception and Polygamy. He has been a deceiver all his life. We noted that, dealt with it at length in that episode. He has struggled with humans again and again. He struggled with his brother Esau from the beginning, from the time they were born. He struggled with his father Isaac. He has struggled with his father-in-law Laban. But God, through all this, has never given up on him. Mm -hmm. God has continually strived for him because he had made this covenant that he was going to create a great nation through Jacob. And that's actually what his new name Israel means, Mm -hmm. is God strives. And so in this striving now, God is still going to bring him to justice. Mm -hmm. Just because he's going to bless him doesn't mean that he's going to negate all the the wrong that Jacob has done. There's still going to be justice involved, and God is wrestling with him, stripping him of all his self-sufficiency so that Jacob can come out of this thing a changed man. Mm -hmm. He is now having to square with the fact that there is no deceit that can get me out of the place I'm in right now. My brother Mm -hmm. is coming at me. He's got 400 men, and I have got to rely on God. And that's why in this wrestling match, he will not let go of him. Right. He won't let go of him until God gives him a blessing, and that's why God says he overcomes. Now, sometimes God's striving for us Mm -hmm. might look like his reducing us to a place of total dependence on him so that we don't have the self-sufficiency that thinks, I'm going to work this thing out in my own way. Whether that's accomplishing something and acting deceptively and doing it like what Jacob has done, or whether that's getting revenge on someone else for something that they've done to us. Mm -hmm. We've got to hold on to God with everything we have, and then in that way we can overcome too. So now what happens with Esau gives us this final insight into God's justice, and we really see the turnaround. Genesis 33, 1 through 9. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in the front, and Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. 
Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her two children came and bowed down. Last of all, Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, What is the meaning of all these flocks and herds that I met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Jacob said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Mm-hmm. So we've already seen Jacob send this word to Esau, calling him my Lord, your servant, I am your servant. Mm -hmm. And so we saw him reverse the blessing, but now he's even returning the birthright. Because what would have come with Esau's status as the firstborn is a double portion of the inheritance that Jacob also took for him. And we've explored that in the past here, where he traded his birthright for a bowl of stew. And now Jacob is even seeking to return the wealth that he might have robbed Esau of in that deception. But here's God's justice. Mm -hmm. Esau doesn't need it. He says, keep what you have. Because Esau did not continue pursuing Jacob, bent on killing him, Mm -hmm. bent on carrying out his own revenge. He went on, he lived his life, did whatever God had in front of him for the next 20 years. He's now become so wealthy that that blessing and birthright that Jacob took is not even required any longer. So the lesson that we can find from this is that when we leave room for God to act rather than having to take revenge ourselves, Mm -hmm. then we make the space for God to bless us more than anything anyone could have taken away from us. Right. Yeah. And we can see this parable in Luke 18, one through eight from Jesus. And it says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so she won't come, so she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So when we're done wrong, we're tempted by the notion of revenge, but we do so much better to just wrestle through it with God, Yeah. right? And even if it's not physically wrestling, right? Yeah. We do better to wrestle through it with God through prayer. Um, and like the widow in Jesus' parable, yes. that's how she was wrestling through it with God, was with prayer. So we can rest assured that God not only loves his people, but he also loves justice. Yeah. And so he will deliver the punishment that fits the crime, which we can't do. Right. And when we wholeheartedly turn to him and hold on to him, he will bless us no matter what we've done and what wrong has been done yeah. to us. So if we want to see God's justice, we have to, just like Jacob was, be willing to repent. Yeah. And Jacob wanted justice more than Esau, but God's justice didn't demand Jacob's punishment being his life right? in return for his deceit. So even though God's justice didn't include Jacob being on the receiving end, God's justice required for Jacob to be on the receiving end on the, of the same kind of deceit. Yes. But not for him to pay with his life. Right. That's justice. 
Right. God intended for Jacob to reap what he sowed, mm-hmm. not more and not less. Right. And that's really what we see walked out here. You know, um, my husband was once coaching a young man who was going into ministry. And in this season, he had surrounded himself with people who had bonded over negativity and right. over criticism mm-hmm. of others. And my husband warned him that while that might have been an easy path, it seems to assemble a following mm-hmm. that uniting around vengeance mm-hmm. or a common foe right. was never going to be fruitful because that's what you're sowing into. That kind of discipleship would eventually lose sight of its intended right. target of the common foe, of the object of the criticism, mm-hmm. and it would turn toward this young man who was going into ministry, or mm-hmm. it would turn internally and the group would would cast that against one another because mm-hmm. we reap what we sow. That is the nature mm-hmm. of the justice of God. And so while it might be tempting that we would seek vengeance mm-hmm. instead of take it to God, like you read in that parable of this widow who goes to a judge day after day, grant me justice, right. grant me justice, grant me justice against my adversary. Jesus is saying, and that's an unjust judge. Mm-hmm. How much more is right. God, the Father, going to grant you justice when He loves people and right. He loves justice? Mm-hmm. We've got to sow into that, sow into prayer right. when we want God's vindication, and He will deliver it right. sometimes outside of our awareness, mm-hmm. like He started to do with Jacob, mm-hmm. with his father-in-law Laban. Um but he will get it done, and sometimes we even get an opportunity to see it. Right. Because the the key factor here with Jacob is reconciliation and repentance that mm-hmm. looked like returning what he had taken, right. making restitution. Mm-hmm. James 3.18 kind of speaks to this. It says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Right. This reminds me of... Last month, I was speaking at a student conference for middle school, high school, and young adult students, and we were talking about different relationships in our lives and how we can shift those relationships to be more kingdom-focused or to be more focused on God. And because these were all students, we were addressing topics that are prevalent in their lives, struggles that they deal with on an everyday basis. And we were talking about um, what the basis of our relationship is or what our relationships are founded in. And I said, you know, if you have a relationship that is based in gossiping about people Mm -hmm. or lying about people or cheating about things or sexual immorality or anything that is not godly or is done outside of God's original and intended plan, because that relationship is based in sin and sin can't succeed, it won't be a successful relationship. It will crumble and fall because it was based in sin. But when we have things and relationships and friendships that are based in a relationship with God first, yeah. Him being the center, Him being the foundation, because God always succeeds and prevails, yeah. those relationships will succeed. Right, yes. Because, but when we don't, when we do the flip side and we base our relationships in things that are sinful, we will have to pay the justice for that. Right. And ultimately we will punish ourselves. Yes, that's the key right, right. there. Yeah. So true repentance that brings about peace, wants to right the wrong, or at least to try to, even if it can't be fully corrected. Because if I want to maintain a relationship with you and we have a disagreement, I want to make the wrong right. Right. I don't want to just say, well, I'm right and she's wrong and that's that. Right. We're still friends, but that's that. I want to try to correct it and make sure that we are at a mutual agreement. Yes. And um, this is how we end in reconciliation is by 
finding peace in the situation. And that's what we find in the account of Jacob and Esau. But another striking thing in this account is what happens after the reconciliation. And that's that Jacob and Esau part ways. Yeah. They just go back to their lives and doing what they're doing. So when we reconcile with someone, it doesn't mean that we go from enemies to best friends. Right. It just means that we have a mutual peace between us. We have an understanding and that we pursued the reconciliation the right way, that we were willing to repent and find peace about it. Yes. It does mean that the problem is solved, forgiveness is given, and peace is restored because that's God's desire. Right. He wants us to be at peace with one another, just like he wants us to be at peace with him. So that's why he sent Jesus so that we could be reconciled to him. So in that way... He's still striving for us even today. Yes. And we don't need to seek revenge because we know that God fights for us. And there's a prophetic announcement from Hosea about Israel in Hosea 12, 2 through 6. And it says, The Lord has a charge to bring against Judah. He will punish Jacob according to his ways and repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel and talked with him there. The Lord God Almighty, the Lord is his name. You must return to your God, maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. So God will repay. Sure. He will issue judgments that are just. And he will cause the punishment to fit the crime. Yeah. Which we can't always do. Our job is just to turn it over to him. Yeah. You know, give him full authority over the situation instead of trying to keep it in our clutches, and make the decisions ourselves. Yeah. Sometimes this requires wrestling or striving in prayer. Sometimes it looks like me talking to God and saying, you know, God, uh, I was hoping that since they did this to me, you'll do this to them. And sometimes God will will have to, you know, let me know, well, that's not how I'm going to go about it because I'm God. I'm not human. Right. I'm not going to let my emotions get in the way and judge how I handle the situation. But when I turn it over to God, even if I'm not always satisfied with the outcome like oh, yeah well, i would have done it differently i can have peace in knowing he's god that's right and god's gonna go about it the right that's way right and nothing i can do would have been better so um when we're in that place of total reliance on him we find out that he's been striving for us all along yeah and we can maintain love and just wait on him to handle the situation right so for you guys if you enjoyed going deeper on this topic and talking about reconciliation and uh, comparing it to different accounts throughout scripture and how things can happen differently throughout generations, but ultimately man's revenge isn't the way to go about it. Right. God will bring forth justice. If you guys enjoy going deeper on topics like this, Step Into Scripture is a great resource that I have enjoyed so much and I highly recommend to anyone, not just because she's my mom, but anybody who is trying to dig deeper into scripture and find truths that before they would have never recognized. And Step Into Scripture is great because if you're like me, you're on Amazon like every day and you can find it on Amazon. You can also find it on Kindle or Renew.org. Yeah. And it's a great resource. I highly recommend it to everyone. But if you want to get it, you can go find it on any of those places. But thank you so much for joining us this week on Step Into Scripture with Tina. We'll see you back next week.